Welcome aboard the Little Red Bandwagon, your twice-weekly podcast celebrating the radio show Turned Podcast, Too Beautiful to Live, from Suite 295 in the home of WGBH Boston, but not actually in WGBH's offices. I'm Bobby Pape, and joining me from room 235 at the Jupiter Hotel on Burnside Avenue on the Lower East Side of Portland, Oregon, it's Phyllis Fletcher. Good afternoon, Phyllis. Hey, Bobby. Actually, good morning, Phyllis. (laughs) Gotta love that time change. I know. Yeah, it's still morning here. Uh, I have just just finished um, assigning stories for the day, and I'm taking an early lunch break just to talk to you. Well, I appreciate it. We all appreciate it. And uh, we're going to do a little bit of must-discuss and housekeeping at the top on this special Phyllis Fletcher Friday edition of Little Red Bandwagon, followed by Phyllis's clip from December's past, actually two on this Phyllis December to remember, followed by how you can get involved. But before we start all that, Phyllis, what are you doing in Portland? I'm having a meeting with my staff. So we work all over the Northwest. Um, We're stationed all over the Northwest, and we only get together as a group once or twice a year. And we're overdue for it, actually, because um, the last one that we did um, we actually still had Jessica the 10 working for us. Uh-huh. And then I had a vacancy for a very long time. Um, there were logistical things involved with um, getting it posted and filled and all that stuff. So we have all, we've hung out as a group once at an award ceremony where my reporter Anna King was honored as a journalist of the year for our chapter of the Society of Professional Journalists. And um, and my other staff member, Austin Jenkins, was um, hosting or emceeing that awards dinner. Um, and so we all got to sit together and and hang out just for an evening and have our pictures taken with some of our hardware that we won that night. But that was the, <laughs> that was the only time that we've hung out since we've had this composition of the group. So we are some of us are already here, not all of us. Um, um, just because people had different travel logistics um, after Thanksgiving, and so um, and so the rest of us are coming up today, um, and uh, and we're going to have dinner with our board chair, and then we're going to have headshots, and then we are going to do some um, we're going to do you know have a short meeting after that. Um, and that's about it. Then it's time to get everybody home and back to work. So we're all getting together for that kind of stuff. Well, enjoy your icebreakers and trust falls. (laughs) I did an icebreaker last or not last time, but the first one of these that I did after I was hired and, um, and some people were really into it and some people I'll just say, are very much not into that. <laughs> so <laughs> now that we all kind of know each other, I'm skipping that part. <laughs> I'm just impressed you found a hotel with a ropes course. And uh, <laughs> what else do they make corporate retreat people do? I don't know. It's been a long time since I've worked in that world. Uh, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm also coming to you today from work. We're recording on this Giving Tuesday, as they like to call it. And in my world, that means turning out as much fundraising material as possible. Since this is a midday recording session, Normally, I work from home on these days, but um, we figured, why not take a shot at doing it out of the office? So here's hoping that the office Wi-Fi doesn't shit the bed before the end of the episode. Um, (laughs) A little housekeeping before we get started. I moved it up to the top of the show today because this is important. Listen up, people. PrettySnarky.com, your one-stop shop for all things Jen Flash Andrews. If you haven't already done so, go order your holiday cards and gift tags and make sure to use the code bandwagon at checkout for your 20% discount. Um, my cards are great. I love them. Uh, Sam and I are doing Christmas cards this week, and we're really excited to send these out to some people who uh, will get it, probably some tens on our list, and then some people who won't understand um, or know who <laughs> Jen is or know what Pretty Snarky is, but I think we'll still really appreciate the card. Um, we're really, really pleased to have those. And I'm really looking forward to sharing them with people. Uh, And as always, as I've been mentioning, we don't get any kickback from this. That code is not like stamps.com or me undies. Uh, (laughs) It's just a code that Jen gave us to give you because love. Uh, And I think you'll like the cards as much as we do. Meredith just got hers too. 
Jen's been putting a little personal note in with every batch of cards, and they're all adorable, and they've all been different. So uh, you also get a Jen Andrews autograph with every set. Mm. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fun. Uh, also a reminder that uh, Christy is working away on a special project centered around the Mike Frizzell uh, post-jail and bank robbing episodes of CBTL from days past. If you have questions about those episodes or just questions about Mike's life on the lam or behind bars, send them to us, littlebrightbandwagon at gmail.com or reach out to Christy with those soon uh, because this super secret special top secret project We'll be wrapping up or coming to fruition soon, uh, so don't delay. Uh, and as always, since it's the holiday season, make sure you do your shopping at littlebrightbamaga.com slash Amazon. Buy everything you are going to buy anyway, and let us get a few pennies out of it. Now, Phyllis, commercial's over. Well, we mm-hmm. have you. Yes. Since you were on this program last, the apocalypse came and went. <laughs> it's been a few weeks. Maybe some of us have blotted it out of our memories. But yeah. um, there was an election, uh, and you are a news professional, and so us normal people would like to know what it was like to be a news professional <laughs> on election night. Yeah, it was – I mean, one thing I can say for sure is definitely um, everyone all around me was uh, surprised. I went uh, – often I'm working from uh, my house, but I went into a newsroom that night to coordinate – um, as as quickly as possible with um, the folks uh, at, at one of our big radio stations that we serve who had people out in the field, uh, KUOW. Um, we were producing content for them. We were using their raw tape uh, to produce content for all our stations. Um, there was a lot of logistical sharing stuff back and forth. It was just easier if I was there. And, um, and, Definitely, as you know, the entire, you know, polling and punditry industry predicted it would go the other way. So for sure, as that uh, that narrative was being um, changed by facts coming in, it was a shock. And um, and I was focused on, you know, my people and and what they were covering. Most of them were not covering that, but I had two people who were one who was at a Clinton party and one who was at a Trump party. And definitely, you know, the party that was predicted to be the happy one became the sad one. (laughs) And the party that was predicted to be the kind of chagrined, you know, frustrated um, Washington state conservatives, you know, expressing their frustration or celebrating smaller victories, definitely that entire party changed. Um, And so, that was very, very interesting, and I was getting that stuff onto the air as fast as possible. Um, but there was also this kind of background of like, wow, I cannot believe that this is happening. Um, and I would say it definitely um, – I mean, it, for sure, because that was the story of the night, you know, I had some of my people booked to go live with some of our stations who then ended up canceling the bookings because they were like – that's not the story anymore. (laughs) You know, like kind of nobody cares that the Washington incumbent Democrat governor is (laughs) reelected. Like nobody cares anymore when something this huge happens. Nobody cares as much about the composition of the legislature, which we were tracking very closely, um, even though that becomes, you know, ultimately that's of even greater importance when there's a huge shift in the federal administration um, you know, just that night, people don't care as much. And it's funny because I've definitely been someone who has covered elections that the general public does not care about, but are very important for policy decisions on the local level. And so I had a lot of empathy for my reporters who all of a sudden were being um, told or not told in some cases that they don't need to go on the air anymore. <laughs> So it was kind of a, you know, one of the kind of smaller bummers um, to come out of that kind of thing. But I've been in that position before and I get it. So, um, so, you know, it was definitely, it was a long night. I think it did partly because it changed so many plans. It made certain things happen slower. And so I had a longer night because of it. I had to kind of babysit more micro things of saying, hey, you know, can I still get that photo? 
um, remember that I wanted this for that piece, blah, blah, blah. I was doing a lot of that kind of stuff until 5 a.m. when I anticipated I would be Oof. doing that until about 2 or 2.30 a.m. And um, my husband, um, being awesome, sent me to work with um, a, a couple flats of soda um, and, uh, and, and a bottle of Bushmills. <laughs> Um, (laughs) to be consumed separately. I mean, you know, we're not, uh, (laughs) what would Luke call us for combining those Philistines? Well, I don't know. If you're going to take a bottle of Protestant swill like Bushmills, I think you can do whatever you want with it. (laughs) I guess so. Yeah. Let's say that as a Jameson drinker. So don't listen to me. (laughs) I see. (laughs) Yeah. So, so, um, so, you know, it was, it was very, very nice of him to, um, to arrange that for us and, and, um, you know, sure enough, around like, oh, three, I think, I said, hey, you know, my husband did. I had been kind of quietly showing it to certain select people all night, <laughs> you know, like, hey, look what I got. And then I was like, I think it's time, guys. And so I was able to convince a couple people to have some with me. And um, and someone someone who was just coming on shift even let me spike her coffee with it. So that was kind of... Ah. <laughs> kind of nice. <laughs> She's an old pro. She can handle it. And, um, and, um, and yeah, we just kind of took in this surreal moment of like, I cannot believe that just happened. Um, and then, um, you know, at the, at the end of the night, I, I was still, I mean, I guess it was, it was very close to 5am. I was still, I had packed up everything, taken care of everything that, that we needed to produce that night. I sat in the parking garage for a little while, kind of like not doing anything. And, um, and I think I just needed to like decompress a little bit, drove home and to my shock, Josh was still up and I was like, Whoa, uh, what's up? And he was like, well, um the thing that just happened and i was like oh my god and it it didn't i would say that was when it started to hit me personally and i asked him how gus took it because they go to this pizza place to watch the elections um and gus started crying Mm -hmm. when the map started turning red and, um, you know, we live in a very liberal neighborhood, so every kid has been kind of picking up on what their parents had been saying. And, sure. um, you know, he is part of that and definitely was very sad. So then I was like, oh, my gosh. And I haven't, you know, I haven't been with my family on election night for years because I've been having this career for more than a decade so it was definitely one of those things where I was like, wow, hearing, you know, Luke talk about how he turned down a job so he could be with Carrie on election night. I was like, I see why he did that, hmm. you know. It's interesting listening to you talk about that moment in the parking garage. You had a reverse driveway moment. You had a full day of public radio. <laughs> yes. And then the That's first totally moment you it. had that was opposite. Yeah. I did. I did have a reverse driveway moment. Possible show title. Yes. I, I, I also did. See, I see your note about Luke reminding us that, that yes. public radio newsrooms should always drink more. I regret that. There wasn't yes. – in my short stint at the Buffalo News, we did not have a lot of drinking in the office, but there were always bottles stashed away. And even from my student newspaper days, we always kept a bottle of relatively cheap whiskey in the desks. Yeah. Uh, And even now, right here, I can't get it out because there's a microphone stand in front of that drawer. But I keep a bottle of Jameson in the bottom of the back left drawer of my day job desk because sometimes I'm here late. And sometimes I'm here on good days and want to celebrate. And sometimes I'm here on bad days. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was the... I love when Luke brings that up. I think it's so funny because I I remember one time when he asked me about it on the show, like, don't you think in public radio we should drink more? And I was like, no, not really. (laughs) (laughs) But it is. I think that's part of why we somewhat get a kick out of it in public radio because this is something I talk about in various um, professional settings, usually kind of grousing on phone calls or sometimes at conferences where – Something that I've become aware of 
even in my relatively short time compared to some people in public radio is like in public radio, we have not completed our culture change from radio station to news organization. And I think it manifests in some big ways and in some smaller ways. And I think that the drinking is actually one of the smaller ways. Like it is, it is countercultural to bust out the alcohol in public radio. But in in the little newsroom that I was in, I think in a way it's kind of a way to it's a way of connecting with that tradition and that culture of like, yeah, we are in the news business, you know, and this is this is what news guys did in the fifties, and we want to be news guys right now. Yeah. Um, and so it's very rare that it's busted out, but I did. Um, you know, when I was leaving at the end of the night, I was like, you know, I'm going to stash this somewhere, and um, I went to an editor's desk and opened up the drawer to put it in there for whatever future use. And sure enough, there was a bottle already in there that was mostly drained. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, this is perfect. I am continuing the tradition, however small. And who knows, that previous bottle could have, it could have been there for more than a decade. I don't know. But I'm I'm replenishing it just like in the pledge drive. I'm passing it on for the next person to use. (laughs) So I felt good about that. Yeah, you and Luke would agree with you. He is a Jameson guy. A warm whiskey late at night out of a paper coffee cup. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, we have our we that radio station is big enough that it has a dishwasher, so we drank ours out of coffee mugs. So I'm sure station station branded coffee mugs then that's even exactly better. that's right. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was neat. So it was it was a moment to share. I had that moment. I had my reverse driveway moment. And then I just oddly enough, when I got home, that's when it felt more real. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we're here not just to talk about election night because that would be sad and painful. We're also here to look back at not one, but two clips from December's past from TBTL. And it's two because you could not make up your mind. And I was so enchanted with both of them that without Mike here with his tyrannical rules about how this show is supposed to work, I move in the order of things around. And I have decreed that two clips is okay, especially because they're both pretty short and I really like that they're, I think, exactly six years apart from one another, and they're from two distinctly different eras of TBTL. So, Oh, that's a great point. Yeah. And, you know, my point that emerged for me after I was like, I can't decide, I realized, you know, part of what I love about these is there is a theme to them. Yes. And it is a theme of, why did I say that? <laughs> <laughs> which I love. Those are great moments on TBTL. I love them so much. <laughs> so uh, I, should, should we go for it? Should we get into the first one? Yeah, I think so. This is a clip from December 2008, uh, and it's a Jen Andrews lie, uh, which doesn't <laughs> narrow it down a lot, but, right. but we'll take a listen and then we'll come back to talk about it. A bunch of girls were going to celebrate uh, one of, uh, a birthday party, and I uh, was new to the group. And didn't know them all very well. And was uh, asked if they asked if I would make the cake, which looking back, I was like the new person. Why did I have to make the cake? But I said, okay. And in in my lifetime growing up, if you're asked to bring the cake, you either buy it or you make it from a box. Yeah. And I didn't realize that this was a group of um, like cooks and bake bakers and people that are into, you know, Talking about recipes and things like that. I had no idea. So I made a Betty Crocker cake. What's the difference in, I mean, the the powder that's in the Betty Crocker box is just, what, sugar and flour, right? So the difference between making a cake from scratch, quote unquote, or doing that, it's very, it's No, there's a huge difference because when you make a cake from scratch, it doesn't turn out as good as Betty Crocker's no matter what. So I just made a Betty Crocker cake. I didn't think twice about it. Yeah. And I got there and we the party happened and then everybody started eating the cake and everyone started going crazy about the cake. Like <laughs> this is the best cake they'd ever had. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I know. I mean, those cake boxes are awesome. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there and, and then they start asking me about the ingredients and I realize they think I made this cake. They have, they so totally, it would never occur to them because none of them would ever make something from a box. I mean, I just all of a sudden realized I'm in a group of people that this is like heresy, what I've done. 
And so they're asking about it, and I just started going with it <laughs> and saying, yeah, yeah, you know, well, n- nothing special, just, you know, <laughs> eggs. And so I'm kind of going along. Do you along. even know how you make a cake from scratch? Can you even, no. like, believably fake? Because I wouldn't even... No. I mean, I know there's flour and sugar and water and eggs, so I could go with that for a while. And you had a moment where you had to decide, right? You were mm-hmm. at a fork in the road, mm-hmm. and you just thought, I don't want to take this away from them. Well, and they had all been going on and on about it. And so if I was then to say it's Betty Crocker, then their palates aren't that good. Right. Like, it just felt like it was going to be horrible and yeah. awkward. You owed it to them, really. Yeah, I did. I mean, I saw so, this charade So going. then the big moment happened where it, it was totally silent, and one of the women said, this cake is the m- most moist cake I have ever tasted in my entire life. You must tell us your secret. How did you keep it so moist? And I paused for a minute, and then I said, okay. <laughs> so I live in Seattle where it rains all the time, right? And it had been a particularly rainy day. And I said, well, I find that if I keep the cake on the back deck, the moisture from the air keeps it. Keeps it moist. And they all went, oh. And then they said, well, when did you put it out? I'm like, oh, about three this afternoon. It it probably sat in the moisture for a couple hours. (laughs) And they were just ooing and aahing. That is such a brilliant lie. It sounds like so weird that it's possible. So then, so it was pretty successful. I mean, for me, that was a great night because I was the queen of making cakes. I had this incredible secret way to do it you know everybody and that just came to you just yes. in, in the in an instant yes you just had this thought put it out on the back porch yes that's really good thinking on the fly so like two months later one of the women from this party called me and said i am making my kid's birthday cake and i can't stop thinking about that cake you made can you remind can you tell me exactly how you made it so moist and so then i repeated that again oh, thank god i remembered my god like oh you just put it out on your back deck all day and she's like oh okay okay i said now not on a hot day it won't work on a hot day it has to be a rainy day <laughs> i i am telling you this is you know 15 years ago i'll bet you that woman is still making cakes by putting them out on her back deck <laughs> Well, I mean, I guess the question is, does anybody get hurt in that? (laughs) Those cakes are probably turning out exactly the way they would have otherwise, except she has a little trick. And she's probably passed that trick on to a bunch of other people. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure it's it's probably on, you know, if you Google search moist cake, it's probably on there Mm -hmm. as a trick. Give it a little zhuzh. (laughs) So I pretended a Betty Crocker was my own, and I'm pretty sure that's probably a pretty popular one. I bet a lot of people do that. The problem with it, though, is that everyone has had a Betty Crocker cake, so everyone knows a Betty Crocker t- cake when they taste one. Hmm. So, I don't know if I, I could. I don't know if I could really. Well, I'm not saying you can differentiate between Duncan Hines and Betty Crocker, but you would know if it's homemade or if it's Betty Crocker. I promise. Hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. And you said the homemades don't actually turn out very well in right. your experience. They're hard. Well, aside from. Um, Lying about uh, about volunteering with people who have muscular dystrophy. Would you would you feel like in your thirties, you've been able to keep the large scale deception? You've been able to kind of rein that in a little bit. Um, I I I don't want to say that I have because I certainly, you know, when it's when it's going to work in a situation if I'm trying to get on a flight or there are plenty of the, white. I'm not talking about white lies. Oh, I'm talking about just like. Stealing something as my own. Or, I, I think yeah. I've, I think I have not done that since the since the Betty Crocker cake. I think that was my last time. Of course, she claimed it was around, and I'm so impressed that she stuck with it months later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, she dug herself a hole pretty quickly with this one. But I, I, I think I would have had to do the same thing. I can't even imagine. I mean, who cares is the first thing that crossed right. my mind. Like, a cake is a cake. I have a lot of respect for people who can bake from scratch and make really great things. It's a shame Anne's not on this episode. She actually mentioned this clip on her interview show on LRB when she was the guest. Oh, yeah. Uh, long ago. <laughs> yeah. But we didn't air it then. Yeah. Uh, what uh. drew you to this clip, Phyllis? I I think it's so funny when they have these confessional moments because even though um 
I listened, I listened to, um, you know, more of the setup than you heard. Um, and I could tell that it, there, it was planned, you know, they had discussed that she was going to talk about this, but there's something so spontaneous about revealing each little thing that you get the feeling, even if it's not the case, but maybe because the embarrassment is so fresh, you get the feeling that you're getting a very, very fresh revelation. And that to me is unique across mediums that you're actually hearing something that feels emotionally fresh and that the even words that they use to describe it are fresh because they've told it so few times because they're embarrassed. You know, so much of what we hear is, is rehearsed, is scripted, you know, all these things that Luke and Andrew talk about all the time, but there's something about revealing embarrassment that is, it has its own momentum because it's something that you, you don't want to say, but you know, it's so awesome. You have to say it. And I just, I love that. It's so funny to me. That's that, especially when it's Jen, just, it has this certain energy to it. And like you said, you know, um, saying it's a Jen lie doesn't, um, (laughs) narrow it down too much because there've been my, my other favorite Jen lies are, um, are the, and they're all harmless, which is what makes it great. But, um, the the one that when she just she wanted to be she was inspired by a musician she had become a fan of and she wanted to be like a more interesting she wanted to come off as a more interesting carefree person and she told a a server or a bartender in in a bar you know i'm so exhausted i've been to three hotels in three days and the guy was like oh which ones and she like couldn't think of any <laughs> hotels or cities that she had like she hadn't written the backstory yet right. for that one and um and and when the server went away clearly knowing like okay that was weird like that was probably bs you know um jason had to turn to her and say will you stop now <laughs> it's like oh my god <laughs> And then the other one, of course, is the the legendary one that that became a drop, which was when um, she went to a party and was feeling increasingly embarrassed because um, there were people, uh, someone who had traveled to um, less developed country and was talking about just how you know, one of the culture shock things that happens to Americans who travel to less developed countries is they get um, disgusted or bummed out or whatever by how comparatively superficial our culture is and our our great wealth. And um, Jen felt self-conscious about this because she identified with, gee, I'm part of that problem that she's talking about, even if that's not true, like that's how it made her feel. And so when she was turned to and asked, well, what do you do? She said, I volunteer for children with muscular dystrophy. And, um, that's, you know, like, I mean, I guess, I guess when you scrutinize that, you can't say it's entirely harmless because it's like, there are actually people who do have that and it's, you know, not fair to them to say that you're helping them when you're not, but taking that out of it, um, it's, it's, it's hilarious because it was all in her head. Um, you know, no one was, was actively like nagging on her or something in, you know, in their processing of their feelings of coming back from this country. And, you know, maybe they were being a little self-righteous or maybe not, who knows, but just her internalizing that and then being like, I'm going to pull the most random ass thing out and say that that's what I do. when it was a complete lie. And then that she hung in there with it for a while. And, you know, people were like, that must be really hard. And she was like, yeah, it is. <laughs> like, And then that she was willing to confess that on the air. Like, all of that is amazing. So, um, and I think it's very freeing, too, because even if people haven't done exactly that, it's so, it, it just, it, it is one of those things that, builds intimacy with the show for people to to confess, for Luke and Jen and Andrew, all of them to confess these moments when they feel like, and they know they were being complete jackasses (laughs) for no good reason. And it's, to me, it's better than any, like, 
it, curb your enthusiasm episode when you're just cringing and sitting there going, no, no, don't do it. And it even at, at some point, maybe a decade ago or more, this American life hit onto this thing where they realized that cringe is the new horror. Like in the 80s, it was all about, you know, horror movies and how, how gory could they be and how much can you build up the tension and, you know, the morality play of that, of, of like, you know, well, that wouldn't have happened if they hadn't been making out in the lookout point or whatever. And cringe is like, it's an escalation of that. Like you feel it even more viscerally. And I feel like they really nail the cringe in these moments when they're willing to be so revealing about things that really make them feel stupid. <laughs> it's endearing for sure. Endearing's the perfect word for it. It's definitely a through line on TBTL. It's something that was true in the Luke and Jen era. And it's something that's still true now in the Luke and Andrew era in a very yep. different way. Um, but Andrew just brought a whole nother lifetime of embarrassing, painful stories. <laughs> <Yes>. And <laughs> we don't even have one of those for today's show, but just go listen to any episode of TBTL. You'll find one. Right. If uh, it starts like this, TBTL, <laughs> then probably <laughs> you'll be rewarded at some point. <laughs> uh, my, my biggest, uh, or my saddest point from this first clip is that there's still some woman 20 years later now who's waiting for cool rainy days to bake her cakes so she can put them yeah. out on the back deck. That's so great. I love that. And we didn't even get into the aggressive use of the word moist. Oh, yeah. I was thinking about putting a trigger warning on the front of this episode just for anyone, right. mainly for Christy. Who's going to cringe every time she hears the word moist. God. Yeah. Uh, but we've got more TBTL to get to. We've got a second clip to talk yeah. about. Um, mm -hmm. This is six years ahead of the last one that takes us to December 2014. Uh, and Luke, uh, very similarly, at a social event, uh, has decided to brag about one of the dumbest things possible. <laughs> let's uh, let's take a listen. I went to a dinner party last night, a holiday party here in, in Port Townsend uh, from some new friends that uh, that Carrie and I have made in town, and it was really really fun, and it, w it was just great. Like the the uh, the company was great, the, the 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 food was great, everything was everything was excellent. And at the end of the night, they had they were serving this really great dessert stuff, and I um. I decided for some reason to have a cup of coffee with the dessert. Sometimes I like to have a cup of coffee with some cake or something like that. You know, it's kind of – I mean, if they, I'll be honest with you. If they would have just had milk out, I would have probably had some milk. Mm -hmm. Well, that's mm -hmm. weirdly juvenile. Like, you should just ask, could, you, could I have some more milk? Do you guys have a juice box? Um, <laughs> so I had some coffee and I was drinking this coffee. And I didn't really know very many people at this, at this get-together. And so I think I was – I don't know what I was trying to do exactly, but – I guess I was just trying to be hopefully funny and likable and, and, and somehow make a good impression on everybody. But for whatever reason, this is what I said when I had this cup of coffee. Somebody said, oh, I, I can't touch that because this is like 9 o'clock at night. Now I'm having this cup of coffee. And uh, somebody said, oh, yeah, I, I can't have a cup of coffee right now. And then I said, this was the weird part. I said, that's how I know I'm not getting old. I can drink a cup of coffee right now and go to sleep. That is the weirdest brag in the history really of dumb, bizarro brags. Like, first of all, impl the implication is that the other person who said that is old, which people yeah, love yeah, to hear. So kind of rude right there. Yeah. I mean, st just like rude. Also, mm -hmm. um, not probably related to age. So, like, no. incorrect. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Although I have noticed, I feel like it is a thing that the the older people get, the more they have to sort of think about. Oh, I can't have a. Oh, I'm not going to have a Coke. It's seven o'clock. Mm -hmm. I'll be up all night. Right. Why right. would I be proud of the fact that I can just fall asleep after anywhere. consuming caffeine anywhere, yeah. and also after consuming caffeine? It makes what a right. what a dumb thing to be proud of. What a truly... oh, you know, that's how I can tell. That's how I can tell I'm still young and youthful. Is I can just fall asleep anywhere. Yeah, exactly. That's how I know I have narcolepsy. 
<laughs> I can right. I can do an eight ball of coffee and speed and uh, and pass out in a police cruiser <laughs> that I've borrowed. That's how I know that I'm youthful. Like who says that to people? And then this other guy who was there, who, who was, uh, was actually a really funny dude. He said. He goes, oh, yeah, I can go to sleep right after uh, I drink a cup of coffee. He goes, but then I'm up at 3 in the morning, and I'm thinking, God, I love coffee. I love all kinds of coffee. <laughs> Let me list the different kinds of coffee that I like in my brain right now, <laughs> which was like a really funny comeback. And um, it was especially especially funny to me when I woke up at 3 in the fucking morning <clears throat> this morning having that exact thought. Could mm. not sleep for the life of me. Watched two different sport documentaries one about jimmy the greek snyder who was a football prognosticator in the in the 70s and 80s who was then kicked off of network television for saying and i quote the black is bred to be a better athlete oh my God. <laughs> i don't know i don't know why people took that the wrong way um uh, oh, and I'm sorry. It's a compliment. He, he then followed that up by saying, <laughs> if they let them coach, then we won't have anything. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was really – it's actually pretty amazing 30 for 30. I highly recommend people watch it. Um, so the point is that not only did I say a bizarre thing to people, essentially insulting them and claiming to be youthful, but I didn't even – I wasn't even able to, uh, you know – make good on my boasting right. about, about how immune I was to <clears throat> coffee. So it turns out I'm also getting old is, I guess, the takeaway. Is it, I want to hear more about your thoughts on this social faux pas that you've made. Because this is what you've just done, if I may be so bold, is I, I think that you've stepped into Andrew territory with this one. Listen, you do <laughs> really? the things that you regret a lot. I do the things that I regret a lot. But saying like, just saying a, a kind of a, a weird, dumb joke like that, that kind of doesn't make a lot of sense, but also <clears throat> is kind of vaguely insulting. Hmm. Yeah. Is really, it, I don't know, maybe you and I are just similar in that way, but it just seems like something that I'm, I was bred to do that. Like sort of, it just seems like such a Walshian thing. And then you just spend the rest of the night, like the entire evening could have been pleasant, but you just focus in on that one thing and you keep playing it over and over and over. Oh no, but head. no, but Andrew, I fixed it because I left right after saying that. So oh, good. I just, that was my, that was literally like Burbank out. <laughs> Profiterol drop, drop moment. Yeah. <laughs> and then just go get in my car, which was blocking everybody. Because <laughs> I got to the, I was the last person to the party, and so, and this is, you know, I live in the rurals now, and so the driveway was like there was enough uh, space for everybody who got there on time, and then I was just blocking, parking everybody, or blocking yeah. everybody from getting out. So I got to go move my car mm. and just say, "Peace out, youthful, and youthful so Burbank out." <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I gotta go. I have a date at a coffee shop. <laughs> um, so, were you like immediate? Like, as you're saying it, are you kind of like, "Oh my god!" Like, do you does it just hit you right there? Just like, why the f did I say that? Yeah, I mean, I seriously and, left partially because of that. Really, it was a very uh. like. I, I got to be honest with you. I think not um, drinking so much, not drinking so excessively. Has really, mm -hmm. I need to relearn how to be social around people sometimes. Mm -hmm. I, f I feel that I'm very socially adept. I do think that that is a thing that has been uh, lucky for me, is that I'm usually comfortable around people. But what I realized is, like, I went to this party, it was really fun. I had a couple glasses of wine, and, um, and that was it. And then I had some coffee, and then it was time to go home. Um, I think in a different lifetime, I would have been like they had hard alcohol there, too. And I, I mean, nobody was drinking hard alcohol because they're normal and it's a Sunday night. Mm -hmm. But I think mm -hmm. in, in another time, I would have probably said like, hey, uh, you know, would you mind if I fix myself up with, uh, you know, a little bit of this whatever, you know, whiskey or something. And then I would have been uh, at 11 at some point in the night. And then I would have been thinking we had what an adventure we had. I charmed the pants off those people. Now. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that would have really been the case, but that would have been my perception of the case. Mm -hmm. Now, because mm -hmm. I'm basically in my right mind around people uh, more than I used to be, I just noticed that, like, oh, yeah, I said that, and that did not go over great because it was just – A, didn't make sense, and B was, again, yeah, mildly insulting. And then I don't really know what to do. It's like the awareness I now have of how I am in social situations, it's a little too much awareness. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
So, um, so how much did it eat away at you? And my follow-up question is, like, do you feel better being able to talk about it with me and joke around a little, a little bit? Or, um, you know, or is me piling on actually what you don't need? No, I didn't. Um, let's see. In the moment, I thought to myself, that was stupid. And then I just kind of... You know, I also needed to leave because literally I was blocking everybody from going home. So I went and I got in my car and I went home and it was, was like, I don't think I was obsessing over it. I mean, I had forensic files to watch. So, I mean, I had other things to focus on. And then I think honestly, when I really thought about it was when I was awake at three in the morning <laughs> because I was like, oh, this is exactly, this is exactly what that dude said. <laughs> so then I started thinking about it and then I was like, God, what an idiot. Um, and I'm hoping that it was not, it didn't read as, as idiotic to everybody as, you know what I think it was too. And I'm basically just circling back to the exact same thing I just said, which is I am used to feeling like I am really the life of the party. You know what I mean? Like I'm used to really Mm -hmm. feeling like I'm like things we're like, this is really happening. But again, I'm not kidding. What I'm realizing is like, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if, if, if it was actually going as great as I always thought it was, you know what I mean? Like, in fact, I, mm-hmm. I talked to somebody a while ago, a person who is, um, uh, a, a friend of mine who, who doesn't drink. And he was saying, he was saying, yeah, you know, it was a weird thing. He goes, when I quit drinking, he's in a band and he used to be the guy making, going out with everybody. He was like, I was really worried that all my friends were going to be super bummed that I was like, not going to be like raging till four in the morning. He goes, but what I realized when I stopped doing that was like, they all wanted to just be done at like midnight. Mm-hmm. Like I was the one making them. And I guess a, a version of that for me is I think that I used to always think that like, I am just killing it at every social engagement. And I think sometimes I was probably killing it. And sometimes it was probably just not reading that other people were not feeling it as strong because in my own drunken mind, it was going great. Mm-hmm. Which is and when a, you which looked is, around and you realized you were the only one left in the room that it finally dawned on you. I just figured everybody else had just realized that they could never be as funny or young <laughs> as I awesome. am. awesome. Or as youthful or as immune to caffeine. And so they'd all just said, well, we better get out of here. Mm -hmm. But they didn't want to embarrass themselves by saying goodbye. They just all all pulled a French quietly backed towards the door. They quietly and respectfully (laughs) backed out of the room and went to a different room where they couldn't have been having as much fun as the room that I was Mm -hmm. in because I was there, Andrew. They were probably talking about how much fun you were having in the other room. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's going to sound dumb to say now, but I actually can have coffee as late as I want and go to bed whenever I want. <laughs> Stop bragging. <laughs> I know. I never thought about it as a bragging thing. It's just that I've always yeah. been the guy who drinks black coffee all right. the time. Now I yeah. feel like an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I love this one so much. And this is – it's super fun for me because this – this is very close to when I started listening, so it's nostalgic for me, and um, and it's definitely one of those things that made me feel closer to the show and closer to Luke and Andrew and even Carrie, you know, having to be there witnessing this. Um, and I love just the way he punctuates the story with these little little micro jokes. <laughs> Profiterole drop. I yeah. love that. And, and Burbank out. Youthful, Youthful Burbank, Burbank out. out. <laughs> I love that we so both had that in our notes. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I actually picked this last year um, when the guys had me on for like a week of faves and kind of a theme that I ended up um, with for that week was um, it was one of their vacation weeks, you know, and um, they had me on the phone saying what I picked and why for these um, reruns to air as favorites. And, um, you know, it, uh, on, when we do that, we don't get to come back on with the analysis. And so I didn't want to give away the joke, but I said to, just there were some some of my favorite, like, TBTL little mini jokes were in that episode, and those were definitely two of them. And my my theme was, you guys are going to hate this one because, <laughs> but we're going <laughs> to love it because, and I was like, I know they hate reliving these embarrassing moments, but like, that's what's so fun about it for us. So, um, yeah, I think by the time we got to this one, they were like, oh, God. <laughs> 
don't tell me why I'm going to hate it. But it's just so, again, it's one of those things where it's like, it's so harmless. And it was, it was probably one of those things where the guy just thought, well, well, that was, that, that was weird, but like, I'm not insulted. But then it just developed into that was the worst thing I ever said. I now have to immediately leave, like all in Luke's head. And I think that's so funny. Right. If anyone said something like that to me, I would just think, oh, well, good for you, I guess, and move on. I wouldn't think, <laughs> wait, are you saying I'm old? Right, right. And I would kind of, I mean, I'm the kind of person where, like, I'm, I would probably even be semi intrigued and, like, trying to remember, like, gosh, was I ever could I ever do that? And like remembering back to my teenage years when you stay up, you know, in cafes all night drinking coffee and like, oh, wow, is this guy, can he still do that? I sure wouldn't do that. You know, like I'm just, I'm, I'm interested enough in other people that I think I would be like, you know, oh, wow. You know, especially if I was already enjoying talking to the person and wasn't thinking like, oh, this guy's a drag. Like, I think I would only think that was a drag if I already thought the person was a drag. But I I find Luke to be charming and fun, so I wouldn't have <laughs> thought that. <laughs> but he just like went, <laughs> like Pac-Man game over noise, <laughs> roll out to the driveway. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just it also amuses me that Luke thinks being able to drink coffee at any hour is what makes him a young go-hard It's, it's not cute. It's not that he's out hitting the clubs or right, right. Well, you know, this was the Port Townsend era, so in that environment, <laughs> I mean, that'd be crazy times for me. I did have a cup of coffee after dinner last night, and I did feel kind of like ooh. <laughs> and you know, that cup of coffee is what fueled me to stay up and pick these clips. So, well, that, it that was is kind of purpose. Exciting. Yeah, exactly. But it is. I mean, it's it's you know, as as mild as that is, it is for me evocative of a younger era. But it is definitely not something I would brag about. Yeah. I drink a lot of coffee in the evening, but usually it's got a fair amount of Baileys in it. So <laughs> nice. Yeah. Because I may, nice. I may be able to drink coffee like a young man, but I drink my alcohol like an older, much older man. Right. Yeah. And I do like also a Andrew's joke that he got in there of like, like when he found out that Luke immediately left, like, I have to go to a date at a coffee shop. Like, <laughs> that's so great. Like, really Burbank the Burbank yeah. of the joke. Yeah. Well, as Andrew said, Luke really did step into Andrew territory with this. <laughs> he did. Yeah, Andrew knew exactly where to go with that. Yeah. Peace. <laughs> Like so many great. good TBTL clips, this takes a turn from being funny to being a little bit more serious. And Luke does yes. talk about the transition from believing he was the life of the party vis-a-vis -vis drinking yeah. to what it's like being social without quite so much drinking. And he mentioned uh, at this particular party that there was, what, beer or wine or something. It was uh, – there was booze but not hard liquor. Right. They, they had a bar – but nobody was using it. It's not like they were actively mixing people drinks. And I was at a party in Atlanta, um, a work thing, uh, like a year ago now, or almost a year ago. And it was at this super rich guy's house. He was the guy who had sponsored this special concert I was at. Hmm. And it was the same scenario. He had It was catered. And so there was a catered bar there, and there was really nice wine and beer, um, at that bar, but then it's his house. So you see that he's the kind of guy who has like the ridiculous bourbon and scotch selection Ooh. out in the corner. And it's not really out for people to drink, but it's also not put away. And sure enough, there was one guy there who was like, Oh, the liquor's out. I'm having at it. And he was a drunk asshole by like nine oh, o'clock. He, oh, was, no. he, he was the guy who clearly had too much and was being a little too loud and was otherwise oh. disrupting a super classy party. And, and he's because he's the one who thought, oh, I, I need a – it was a you know somewhat older guy actually. Um, mm. Not the young go-hard Luke Burbank, but, but a right. guy who thought, well, you know, this is what I do. And, you know, he probably thought he was the life of the party. <laughs> Oh, oh, 
Oh, yeah, that's embarrassing. So there's a good lesson for you when you think of the life of the party and you're drunk. You're probably just an annoying asshole. Right. You're yeah. probably loud. People are probably pretending to understand what you're saying because they're not that interested. <laughs> yeah. I will say uh, we as a couple, Sam and I struggle to um, like make friends and go out because we don't have like bar fly regulars anymore. Even in Buffalo, we, I had a couple of bars I would hang out at and that was a thing. Mm -hmm. Like that was a social activity. Yeah. And now it's like, oh, if we want to meet somewhere and have dinner and drinks or watch a game, that's the reason – it's not, we'll go get drunk and see what happens, which is what right. we're 20s, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. A, a good lesson to learn is that you you can be lively without the booze. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. And, you know, you'll stay on the planet longer, yeah. so it's good. <laughs> you ultimately accrue more fun <laughs> because you'll be here longer. Yeah. Yeah. I did also enjoy the irony of the guy who said, oh, if I drink that, if I do go to sleep, I'll be up at 3 a.m. And then Luke was up at 3 a.m. <laughs> 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 Having one of those what am I doing with my life moments, which I think usually uh, happen in the middle of the night. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love a yeah. good sports documentary, but I don't know if a 30 for 30 about Jimmy the Greek Snyder would have been... <laughs> Yeah, let's relive that worst moment and then feel slightly yeah. better about ourselves. <laughs> um, my only other yeah. note for this episode was that it was punctuated with the slide whistle. So it's nice to remember <laughs> that era of TBTO. I love that. Was that a drop? <laughs> right. I know. Who are you, Michael Winslow? <laughs> <laughs> Phyllis, did that noise just come from your body? <laughs> right. <laughs> I know it's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I found out very recently? I found out that from from his description of it, it sounds like Sean and I had the same make sound effects with your mouth book when we were kids. <laughs> <laughs> and he tried to do the only and it was one of those that comes with a little little um floppy record in it <laughs> that you can like pull out on the dotted line. And put on your record player. Do you remember those, Bobby? Or are you too young for that? I I am. It's probably a combination of being a little too young and also just not getting that kind of stuff. Like we didn't have a working yeah. turntable, even when other people did. And so there, yeah. there was no culture for that. I wouldn't have had any way to use it. I still remember having to go to my friend's house and dub it off on her stereo system and not understanding how that worked. And so, like, I was like, don't we have to be quiet while we're doing this? She was like, no, it's just recording it from the stereo. I was like, oh, my God. But I got that, I got that book. Um, it was called Mouth Sounds. And um, it wasn't Michael Winslow. It was a white guy. His picture was on the cover. And, um, and Sean, I think, mastered the same one that I did. Because <laughs> they're all really, really hard. But there was one that was really easy. Sean called it something else. Maybe he was trying to do something else. But it un ended up sounding like the one that the guy called the UFO, which was this. <laughs> like you hum and you whistle at the same time. <laughs> and I was like, I can do that one. But all the rest of them were really, really hard. And I could not do them. <laughs> Was it was it a guy in a bow tie? Frederick R. Newman. Mouth yeah. sounds. How to whistle, pop, click, and honk your yeah. way to social success. You found it. That's it. Yeah, to social success. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and that wow. probably, I mean, as ridiculous as it is, that probably did somewhat play into why I bought it. I bought it at the Hallmark store at U Village. <laughs> And I just remember thinking, oh, my God, it would be so cool if I could do this. And I was, I mean, by this time, I was in, like, you know, sixth grade. Like, I was just about to turn that corner where it's like, I still would have wanted to buy it a year later, but I probably wouldn't have. Yeah. <laughs> I would have realized, like, this is not going to help me in any way. <laughs> But in sixth grade, like, I was still dressing up as a clown for Halloween. Like, sure. I was still very juvenile. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is going to be rad. And, you know, my friend was like, okay. 
Uh, well, Phyllis, I believe you have achieved social success. So in some way, <laughs> maybe, maybe subconsciously, helped. that book has helped. <laughs> right. And if they reboot the Police Academy series. <laughs> that would be dope. If I could seriously do all of those things, that would be awesome. <laughs> like, maybe I'd even get to be on TBTL more. Oh, <laughs> Maybe my reporters would listen to me if I only spoke to them in sound effects. <laughs> hey, I can't imagine a better team building exercise than making them think a helicopter is landing on the roof. <laughs> Run, guys! <laughs> All right. Uh, before we go, uh, Phyllis, congratulations, or in order, I should have done this at the top of the show. You have now successfully listened to every episode of TBTL. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so excited. And it's now we know how long it takes. At least someone with a full-time job and a Howard Stern habit, it takes two years. <laughs> <laughs> it took me two years because I started two years ago um, in November 2014, and, and I finished uh, Thanksgiving weekend. So, yep, it took, it took me two years, and I enjoyed every second. Even those, you know how people complain about the, the uh, Luke on his own from a hotel room episodes? Uh, yes. I, yeah. Yes, I, yes, I do. I, I enjoyed those. And I think there probably is something different to it of just like, <laughs> I'm, I'm powering through this. I know there's going to be a different one tomorrow. You know, this is just what the one today is, you know, and it's all part of a whole, like, um, cosmos of the episodes and i even when i finish um i told you guys i told my husband and i even texted luke and i said you know i just want to share that i i did this i've i listened to every single tbtl and um he said i was amazing <laughs> and that i now know his life better than he does <laughs> which was really a cute thing to say but um i mean i just i it's funny because i have spent thousands and thousands of hours with Luke in the last two years alone. And um, it's just an interesting experience to like, you know, like I've like he has he has probably generated more words into my ear holes than anyone I personally know at all <laughs> in the last two years. Um, and, you know, partly because my husband and our son are not huge talkers anyway. <laughs> like, <laughs> They just, you know, they're they're just not like you know how some kids and some grown ups are like super chatty. Like they're not, you know. So it's it's been a really interesting experience to have this whole kind of like second imaginary life, you know, when I'm listening to someone's um, someone's life go by, you know, in uh, eight years of their life go by for me in two years in a very strange order. But I enjoyed it. <laughs> I really did. Well, something tells me that your husband and son are looking forward to getting you back. <laughs> nah, <laughs> they get enough of me already. <laughs> At least until you can unearth the Bryant Park Project archives. <laughs> no, <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> Man, oh, I, I don't want to bust him out or anything, but um, that's another thing where the story evolved, right? Of the circumstances under which he left, because... When he was very close to his departure from BPP, um, he was, um, you know, saying the agreed upon thing, apparently, that he said about leaving Bryant Park, which was that to be with his daughter. And... Back. That's right. Yeah. He eventually said that he left that show because he did not like working on it and that Robert Quawich helped him get out of his contract. So, um, and he said that on TBTL. Yeah. No, I think very specifically he didn't like Ellison Stewart and he didn't like the production. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty obvious. And I think that's so cool that, um, that he eventually got to a place where he could say that, you know? And, um, and it, it is one of those things that, that just kind of is part of the evolution of TBTL over time. And, um, and I enjoyed I enjoyed listening to those kind kinds of things and listening for those kinds of things and piecing together timelines and all that. And so while it was very it was very um, you know amusing and um, fun of Luke to say, oh now you know my life 
better than I do, I do think I know it in a new way. And, um, you know, it's neat to see those things unfold over time. It's part of what I like about the Howard Stern show, too. You just hear those things unfold over time and and what people are willing to say or admit to themselves sometimes about certain periods of their life. It just it changes over time. And I think that's true for all of us. So I enjoyed that. Yeah. Well, you certainly remember it better than he does. There might be certain that might be true for certain details, um, but uh, I I just I love that I love just even hearing how his memories of things change over time and you know it's 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 very fun and yeah. um, I was super rewarded listening to that so it's a huge I uh, like like um, you know my last my last uh, episode of Fletch Faves was a love letter to Luke I just have to reiterate that you know that I just really appreciate how much of himself that he shared with us over time. And that's true for Jen and Sean and Andrew also. I just love the show. Well, with that, uh, I believe we get one more Phyllis fave month after this, because you started in February, 2016. After that, I'm sure Mike will find a new brush for you to whitewash our fence (laughs) with. It's only a matter of time. I'm happy to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, just a little bit of uh, how to get involved. The website's littlewebbandwagon.com. You'll find us on Facebook and uh, both at Little Red Bandwagon and in the Stens page. Our show Twitter's LRB Podcast. Email littleredbandwagon at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail, 802-432-TBTL. That's 802-432-8285. And with that, Phyllis, why don't you get us out of here? All right. Until next time, this is the next party. And we love you, Jen, even if your cake is a Betty Crocker. (laughs) Nailed it. Welcome to the wonderful world of Mouth Sounds. Mouth Sounds is a guide, a book and a record that will teach you how to dazzle your friends with dozens of vocal sound effects. This record will demonstrate each sound, and with the step-by-step instructions of the book, you'll be able to whistle-pop, boing, and honk your way to social success. I'm your host, Frederick R. Newman, with the Mouth Sounds Orchestra, and we're delighted now to lead you on an excursion into the mouth. <laughs>